0: Hey, this is Mike Boddington, you're listening to the Core Life Training,
1: what is it? Core Life Training Podcast, of course it is, with Jeff Olson. Hey, what's up my friends, it's Jeff with the Core Life Training Podcast. Today we're going to be digging into the Bible, we're going to get down with some killer tunes, And we're going to cool out with a very tasty drink of choice. Welcome to episode number five. So in this episode, we have a question from Numbers 22, in which God tells a dude to go do something and then promptly gets mad at him when he does. So this guy, Balaam, is pretty weird in the story of the Bible. On the one hand, he's sort of like this voodoo witch doctor guy running around cursing people for money. And then on the other hand, he actually speaks the true word of God. So he's kind of tricky, but we're going to take a crack at him today. This week's Metal Minute is from one of the coolest bands you've never heard of, but you should hear of. A band called Youngblood Super Cult from Topeka, Kansas. These guys rule one of my favorites over the last two years. And this episode's drink of choice is Notorious Triple IPA from Boneyard Beer in Bend, Oregon. It is a killer drink, and you should definitely check it out if you have not. And I want to tease something awesome that's going to be coming up for you this summer from Core Life Training. We are putting together the 2018 Theology Challenge. Now, everybody's got a challenge out right now, and some of it's really cool, like the eight-week slim-down challenge, like get in shape before summer. Like, who the heck doesn't want to look awesome this summer sitting by the pool? Like, no duh, that sounds great. Some are super lame, like the Tide Pod Challenge. So I dare you to eat a Tide Pod. Uh, no thanks, idiot. You go right ahead. And like, you know, the 31-day the cauliflower challenge where you health coaches try to convince us that like cauliflower uh, pizza crust and cauliflower nachos actually taste good. Listen, we're not falling for it. We don't buy it. So just keep that stuff off Facebook, all right? That challenge is not cool at all. The 2018 Theology Challenge is cool. What it is is a 12-week guided blitz through my first year of theology reading at Bible College. Essentially, you're going to become a mini-theologian in the course of just 12 weeks. You're going to cover all of the biblical foundations for all the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, and you're going to get it all in just the course of one summer. Now, the truth is this is not for slackers who want to take the summer off from the Lord and then maybe catch up with Him in September. But like, I know that's not you anyway, if you're listening to this podcast, the only prereq for this challenge is that you got to be hungry to know God more deeply and love him more passionately in September than you did in May. So more details to come, registration info, downloadable guide, and the opportunity to join 11 other people who I will personally coach through the challenge. Right on. Before we get going, I want to remind you that you can help make the Core Life Training podcast even awesomer than it already is. So if you're reading the Bible and you have a question about it, or you remember something from Sunday school when you were a little kid, and you wonder what's up with that, I want you to let me know, man, right? So just drop me a question on the Core Life Training Facebook page, or you can email me your questions at jeff at org. And if you're digging the podcast, I want to ask you to do me a super huge favor, all right? Would you just take like four minutes and when you go to iTunes and would you leave a review there, right? So help get the podcast noticed. The better the reviews are and the more reviews that are out there, the easier the podcast is to find in iTunes search. That would be totally awesome and we'd appreciate it a ton. All right, then let's get started. Why don't you grab a Bible, grab a notebook and grab your drink of choice and let's get down to business. All right, dig it. So today's question comes from Numbers chapter 22, and we'll be looking at verses 20 to 22. And here's how it reads. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. So right away, that seems like a problem. God says, go ahead and go. Balaam goes, and then God gets mad about it. So let me back up to Numbers 21 and give you a little bit of context for this passage, right? So in Numbers 21, Israel is on the way through the wilderness to the promised land. And it's like a 40-year long way. So it's a the long way to the promised land. And in verses 21 to 32 of chapter 21, Israel comes up on the land of the Amorites. Now, this is a land that God had promised to give to Abraham and to his children in Genesis 15, Right? So it's actually Israel's land by God's promise, but Moses doesn't act like a jerk about it. right? So he doesn't walk in and say, hey, look, this land is our land. Now, why don't you clowns beat it? What he does is he offers to pass through in peace. right? He makes a peace treaty or offers a peace treaty. Now, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, he doesn't buy this whole peace treaty nonsense. And what he does is he rallies up his troops for a fight. And immediately and promptly is thrashed and Israel takes over every city and all of his land, right? And in verses 33 to 35, uh, Israel comes up on Og, the king of Bashan. Now this guy, like seeing that Israel has just demolished his neighbor and being a wise king, sends a peace treaty to Moses and says, hey, listen, I just want everything to be cool between you and me. Why don't you guys just pass on? And No, that's not exactly what he does, not at all. Og is an idiot, and Og rallies his troops because somehow he thinks he's going to do better than Sihon from the Amorites. And promptly, Og is totally destroyed, and not a single person is left. So when we get to Numbers 22, Israel is camped in the land of Moab, and we've met Moab before back in Genesis 19. Moab is the son of Lot and his freaky oldest daughter, and Balak, the king of Moab, seeing that his two neighbors have been wiped out, fears that somehow he's next in line, right? So, now here's something to pay attention to. Israel hasn't picked a single fight in this whole scene, right? They haven't picked a fight. They're not picking one now, but Balak is tripping out. He's just worried and freaking out. And rather than rally his troops, Balak decides he's going to take a different route here. He thinks he's smarter than the other guys. He decides to hire this guy named Balaam, who is sort of this voodoo witch doctor guy who does curses for hire, right? So he hires this guy Balaam, or he sends people to hire Balaam in order to curse Israel, because apparently that's what Balaam is famous for. Like, that's what that dude does. Now, I want you to think about this for one second. What would be the smart move right here? right? For for Balak to do the smart move. How about this, dude? How about just let him slide, bro? Just let him slide. Why are you tripping out? Why are your Moabite panties pinching or something like that? Why are you looking for trouble? You don't want a piece of this. But he decides to go ahead and go for it and hire Balaam to curse Israel. And there's an irony in chapter 22, verse 6. Balak says to Balaam, therefore, please come curse this people for me since they're too mighty for me. Perhaps I might be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. Now, here's the irony. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, that's not true at all. That's not even close to true. The truth is found back in Genesis chapter 12, where the Lord says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. In the Bible, the Lord's in charge of blessing and cursing. But here, Balak feels like somehow Balaam is in charge of blessing and cursing. And like the rest of all of the other kings around, Balak is also a total idiot. So Balak's minions come to Balaam, and they offer the price for hiring Balaam to curse Israel. And in verses 8 to 14, Balaam says, Hey man, listen, why don't you guys hang tight, and let me check with the Lord to see if I can curse his people. Now, here's a couple things. Number one, Balaam is aware enough of the Lord, like he understands who like the Lord is. In fact, in the text, Balaam uses the actual proper name of the Lord. So he's aware enough of the Lord. But secondly, this dude is stupid enough to go see if the Lord is okay with like him cursing his people. So right here in verses 8 to 14, we have just a little bit of a red flag on this guy Balaam's motives, right? So we want to pay attention to this dude and see what he's actually up to. So in Numbers 22, verse 12, God says to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse this people for they are blessed. You don't get to curse them because I've blessed them, right? And you probably don't want to curse them if you're smart. Like, remember Genesis chapter 12? You probably don't want to do that. In 22 verse 13, Balaam tells Balak he can't do it. But the way that he says it is a little bit fishy. And this is verse 13. What Balaam should have said is something like this. Listen, Balak, the Lord said that I can't curse his people And you shouldn't be trying to curse his people because he's blessed them. So your plan is stupid. It's sinful. It's impossible. You ought to repent and get your freaking act together, you fool. That's what Balaam should have said. But what he actually says is, go ahead and go back to your land because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The Lord has refused to let me. Now, what's the subtext of that? The subtext is, I would love to have your money. I would love to rake cash from you. But I can't because God hasn't given me permission. Okay, another red flag, another indication that this guy Balaam might be up to something. In verses 15 and 19, Balak catches Balaam's flow, right? He gets what he's up to, he reads the subtext. And so Balak ups the offer, right? He says, I'm gonna make you rich, I'll do whatever you want, you just let me know. This is exactly the offer that Balaam was hoping for. So now Balaam raises Balak's hand and he says, Listen, if you were to give me a house full of silver, and a house full of gold, I could never go against the command of the Lord. So this sounds like the right thing to say, but look at verse 19, 22, 19. He says, why don't you just wait here and let me see what the Lord says. Like, what do you mean what the Lord says? Like, you already know what the Lord says, you fool. You can't curse them because God has blessed them. But Balaam says, let me see if maybe, I don't know, God has changed his mind. I wonder if Balaam is kind of driving at something here. Like, I wonder if Balaam really wants to know what God wants or if he's just driving at his own agenda. And I don't know about you, but I've come across so many people over the years who, on the one hand, seem like they're trying to understand what God wants or understand the Bible or get good advice. But really, they're just looking for a way around what God wants. They're looking for a way around Scripture. Really, they're looking for God just to bless their own will. Here's how John Calvin describes this. He says, Still many such persons will be found nowadays who, though fully assured of the will of God, in other words, they know what God actually wants, they cease not nevertheless to countermine it, so that they may at length attain the end towards which they are hurried by their lawless cupidity. Now, cupidity is not a word that I use in my real life every day. I don't know about you. I don't. And all it means is like greed or being money hungry. He says at the outset, it's anything but their desire to know what's right, or when they know it, to follow it. But ambition instigates some, and lust inflames others, and others are urged for, forward by avarice. In a word, Evil affections preside over every deliberation. So Balaam already knows exactly what God wants out of this situation, but he's going to give God a second chance here and see if he can't pull one over on the Lord. And in verse 20, God comes to Balaam at night and he says, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. Now, is the Lord going to let Balaam go in order to curse Israel? Of course not. That would be stupid. Like the Lord has already said, you can't curse them. They're blessed. I bless them. That's the bottom line. Why is God going to let Balaam go? He's going to let Balaam go to learn this fool a lesson. Verse 21, so Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he went with the leaders of Moab. All right, now let's see how the Lord's going to take care of this one. Right, verse 22, but God was angry because he was going. Now let's be clear right here. God's not angry because Balaam is obeying God. Like God said, go, and then Balaam obeys, and now God's angry. God's not angry because of that. God's angry because of Balaam's crappy motives from the beginning, right? And now the Lord's going to teach him a lesson in the middle of this. And what happens is the angel of the Lord gets in the way of Balaam's donkey in the middle of the road, and the donkey goes off the road into the field, and Balaam beats the heck out of the donkey to get him to go the right way. Same thing happens the second time, right? And Balaam's donkey smashes Balaam up against a rock wall. Now, the third time this happens, Balaam's donkey just lies down in the middle of the road and won't go anywhere. And you'd think at this point, Balaam might be wondering what's up. Like, hey, why is my donkey acting weird? But at least in the text, Balaam is totally clueless. I mean, honestly, if your donk is more perceptive than you, then it's time to get some help, bro. Seriously. So finally, the donkey opens up his mouth like the Lord speaks through the donkey. And he says, what have I ever done to you that you've beat me these three times? Now, here's the funny thing is Balaam actually answers a talking donkey, right? So the donkey talks to Balaam, and Balaam is such an idiot that he's going to get in a conversation and an argument with the donkey. And Balaam says, listen, you've made a fool of me. That's why I've beat you these three times. And the donkey, being the wiser of the two, reasons with Balaam and says, listen, I've been your donkey for a long time. Is this normally how I treat you? And Balaam says, well, no, not at all. Look at verse 31. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. Yeah, you think? Like 37 seconds ago, he was on his way to rake cash from Balak. And now all of a sudden he's super humble, right? Yeah, I mean, if you saw an angel of the Lord in the middle of the road with a sword, you'd probably get down low too. But verse 32 is the key, right? Here's what it kind of explains all of this. And our suspicions about Balaam are confirmed. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out as an adversary, because your way was perverse to me. Your way was perverse before me. Balaam was looking for money and he was going to do just about anything he could to get to it. And in 2 Peter chapter 2 when Peter is talking about false prophets, he says that some of them have forsaken the right way and they've gone astray having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. How is Peter reading this? He's reading Balaam as a greedy guy who's looking for some dough. Verse 16, but he received a rebuke from his for his own transgression for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. So why is God angry with Balaam? Is it because he went with Balak? No, not at all. It's because he went with Balak with evil, greedy motives from the get-go. So ultimately, God does send Balaam with Balak and gives Balak a word of blessing over Israel. And eventually, Balaam prophesies that the king will come in the last days. So this fool Balaam plays really an important role in announcing the hope of the king who comes in the last day to rule over all the nations forever. And as you keep turning pages in the Bible, you find out that king is Jesus of Nazareth. All right, Diggit. I hope that was helpful for you as you think about Numbers chapter 22 and this guy Balaam in the story of the Bible. All right, guys, I've been waiting for a while to bring this band out for you for the Metal Minute, and here they are. This is a band called Youngblood Super Cult. Now, I found out about these guys a couple years ago on the Electric Beard of Doom podcast that Pat Harrington from Geezer does. One of these episodes, I'm going to do a whole feature on the podcast, The Electric Beard of Doom, because it's totally awesome, and I'm going to leave a link to it in the show notes. But anyway... This is where I found out about Youngblood Supercult, and the first thing that totally blew me away about this band was the guitar riffs. Like this chick, Bailey Smith, who plays guitar, she has got to be like Tony Iommi's long-lost love child or something. So if you dig Sabbath riffs, you're going to love her. Her tone is killer. It's fuzzed out. It's heavy. And David Merrill's vocals are just amazing, man. Like this dude can totally sing for real. Now, I'm waiting for these guys to make their triumphant debut in Portland, but when I messaged Bailey today, I found out that they're definitely not coming to Portland anytime soon. So, I'm seriously considering making a trek to this year's Doomed and Stone Festival in Indianapolis, Indiana to see these guys. So, I'm going to give you two songs from Youngblood Super Cult because they're that awesome. First up is a song called Monolith off their second album, High Plains. And the second is Burning Messiah off their most recent release called The Great American Death Rattle. You better grab your drink of choice, kick back, and definitely crank this one up. monolith and burning messiah from young blood super Cult. make sure you go to my website core get the show notes i'm going to leave a link to their band camp go buy their music get their stuff and if you want to road trip it out to indianapolis or if you just want to fund my flight to go see them live please hit me up and now for this episode's drink of choice it's notorious triple ipa from boneyard beer in bend oregon And I totally love hitting up Boneyard when we're in Bend. These guys brew out of what looks like just a big industrial garage or something. It's totally no frills, but the beer is second to no one. Notorious is a big IPA, lots of citrus, lots of pine. It's almost always on tap at the Hoppy Brewer on Main Street in downtown Gresham. Shout out to my man Steve Krauss for his excellent selections. As always, you should definitely go to Hoppy Brewer, get a Notorious, and tell them I said so. All right, that's it for this episode. Be sure to check out the Core Life Training Facebook page where you can find information on upcoming classes, both live and online, new podcast episodes, and you can keep up to speed with everything that we're doing. If you like your updates in your inbox, go to corelifetraining.org and sign up for the email list. Promise I won't spam you. I won't sell your info to freaks. I'll just give you updates and information on all the things that are going on with Core Life Training. Thanks for checking this episode out. My name is Jeff Olson, I teach the Bible, and I will check you later. Honestly, bro, if your donk is more perceptive than you, then you just need to pull your head out. Zebra, zebra, short and stout, find your head and pull it out. Pull, zebra, pull!